welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week has been in the business for the better part of two decades. He's currently the sports book director at the D and the Golden Gate for Circus Sports. Please welcome Matt Metcalf. Matt, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Spanky. How you doing? Pretty good, brother. I appreciate that. So, Matt, I like to start every interview I start with. How was life growing up? Life growing up was good. I grew up in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, big baseball fan at the time, which is funny because I don't care anything about baseball now. Um, I kind of rooted for baseball or like rooted for whoever was winning the A's, the Yankees, like back in the day. And then eventually I kind of started rooting for Florida Gator football and was obsessed with the Florida Gators till I was about still, still this day somewhat, but until I was about probably like 12 or 13 until I found uh, sports betting. And then that kind of became my, my primary interest. So growing up in Florida, you know, it, it, are people more college fans, pro fans, a little mix of both? How is it? Yeah. Like in- well, yeah, it's funny growing up, um, for a lot of days, especially at the time, you know, it was pretty much the U was everything. Miami football was everything. And then if you weren't a Miami fan, you were a Florida State fan. And so I think in my middle school, I was probably one of two Florida Gator fans. Um, and this probably would have been like, early nineties, right when they had hired Spurrier. Um, but like that just got pushed to the side. I mean, when, the, when Florida, when uh, Florida state played Miami in those games, it was just like, it took over the entire world. And that's all people talked about for, for a month. Um, so yeah, I used to get made fun of for being a Gator fan for a good amount of time until, you know, they started winning in the mid nineties. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good, it was a great place to be a college football fan. And, you know, the college football almost outpaced the NFL down there in terms of interest. And especially for me, in terms of betting interest, I cared way more about college sports than I did pro, probably up until this day, I still do. Wow, that's that's great. You know, over here, being in New Jersey, you know, pros kind of was everything. We're not really big into the, into the college, I guess, as a fan base. But like places like you were saying, Florida and then the Midwest and Michigan and then you know, Wisconsin and every, although it's, you know, the, the Wisconsin's, I guess, green, bad. I don't know. You know, I'm just right. a lot of different States out there that, you know, Texas, I guess is another one. And then Alabama, the, these States, they, it seems as if college trumps everything. So how did the betting start? You know, when did you start betting? When did you realize, man, I don't have to just watch these games. I can gamble on them. It was probably, probably pretty separate at first. I think we, I think I discovered poker with my friends probably when we were like 11 or 12 years old. And so we play a lot of poker. Um, during the summer, especially, we just go to each other's houses and play poker all day. And I think it, at some point, you know, it, it's almost like we found, I think we found gambling before we found sports betting. Honestly, we, we bet on kind of like random things. We play Mario Kart for money. Um, we'd have like dice games that we would play for money and with some like some bastardized version of, of craps that we used to play that I don't even know what we were doing, but one of us would be the house and the other of, others of us would bet. Um, and then I think at some point our, our love for sports kind of, found our love for gambling and we kind of married the two and started getting interested in sports betting. Um, but yeah, so we, we always kind of would just bet with each other and that kind of thing. And we were really interested in it. And then I, the, the one thing that we, that we knew is that we were all horrendous at, at sports betting. That's the one thing we found out very quickly. Um, I can remember betting like, I don't know. I bet I want to stay lost like 13 or 14 straight baseball bets at one point to the point where I was just like, all right, 
there's something I'm missing here where everything that jumps off the board at me is like a dead loser. So I, I started to kind of look into why that was. And actually first I didn't really even look into why that was. I just said, okay, if every instinct I have where I pick, you know, whatever I look at, I see the Yankees minus 120 is a great bet. The other side must be, the other side must be a great bet because I'm losing everything I pick. So I remember there was one stretch where I started doing that with NBA where I just, I looked at the board and whatever jumped out at me, I just bet the opposite. I think we went on, I went on some crazy run where I went like 16 and four over 20 NBA games or something like that. Um, but yeah. And I think at some point I took that further and was like, okay, well now I'm figuring out that there's, there's something to this. Let's look further and kind of find the reason why, why I'm so bad on my first instinct and like try to find the reasons behind, you know, why, why I'm going 16 and four when I bet the opposite of what I like, there's gotta be a reason. This isn't random. So. Is there merit to a fade the public strategy? I, I think there was merit for a long time. And, and granted, I was, I was probably younger when the strategy was probably, probably the nuts. Um, but even coming up, I think, you know, in investing, contrarian, contrarian views are always going to be something worth exploring. Um, you know, when we were kids, obviously, I didn't know the reasons why or, or what to call what I was doing. Um, but as I got older, you know, I found um, – looking into why something or why a line looks wrong is a good place to start. And I can say as I've progressed in my, in my betting career, there's not really any, it's not like Vegas or the lines makers are trying to trick you. The line is where it is for a reason. It's based on information. It's based on ratings. So I just think that's a great place to start. And if somebody tells me they have an interest in sports betting and you know, this looks like free money, I would say, well, if something looks like free money, you need to look into it because there's a reason the line's where it's at, you know, outside of, some kind of market manipulation going on. But yeah, I think it's a great place to start because, you know, the market absorbs every piece of information it can, every bet that it sees from every professional better. And the line is where it should be most of the time after a decent amount of money is bet into it. So, you know, as you start looking into the reasons and you find out, you know, things all of a sudden, there's no, there's less mysteries. You look into, you look into a college football game that you made 10 and the line's three everywhere, you know, after a while, it doesn't move from three you're going to find something, whether it be an injury you missed or where there's, there's just, there's going to be some variable that, that you didn't pick up the first time through that explains the line most times. There's no such thing as a free lunch and there's no such thing as a trap game. Um, I mean, I don't believe in trap games. I mean, there's definitely spots, I guess, that I'll recognize and say, you know, you know, this is a spot where it's being factored in too much and stuff like that. Um, I, I will say there, there are, <laughs> there are free lunches and when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, bookies or, or shops putting up their own numbers, they will put up lines that are terrible once in a while. But that's, that's kind of not what I'm referring to when I'm talking about a line that doesn't make sense. You know, I'm talking about lines that have been hammered out by the market. Not when, not when a random Vegas sports book puts up, you know, a line that's a game of the year, that's two touchdowns off and it's in July and the game is five months away. I mean, you'll find, you'll find bets that are, that are 80%, 90% type bets if, if you're playing in a markets that, that, you know, haven't been exposed to everybody or are taking very low limits once in a while. So, you know, free, free money does exist. Uh, you know, obviously it's not a hot, nothing's hundred percent, but I, I don't need to tell you that. I love it. I love it. Okay. So now you, you're picking up this gambling. You, uh, where do you go to, you go to, where do you go to school? Yeah. So I went to uh university of Florida for five years, went to class as little as I could pretty much just, obsessed with with sports betting and back in those days i can remember i'd go on aol and i would type in keyword odds and that would kick you to like this page where you could basically see all the vegas lines and that would update every 15 minutes 
they'd also do these articles and the articles were just, I guess, based on like just random Vegas bookmakers. But but the name that kept popping up to me was Imperial Palace. And the guy who would pop up under there was Jay Cornegay. And I'd read, you know, when they were doing their, their Super Bowl props, I'd download, you know, they had, they would scan all the Super Bowl props on this, on this AOL page and you could, you could download them and see all the props, which I thought was awesome. But, but Jay's name would always come up. And so I kind of, you know, I would read all this stuff about them, about Vegas. I just thought it was so cool. The first time I went to Vegas when I was 21, I stayed at the Mirage, but I, I'd walk across every, like every five minutes and be at the Imperial Palace in that old room they used to have with the, all the futures kind of all the way around. And I would just hang out in there because I just thought the room had the coolest energy and I knew these guys were trying to book as much as they could. Um, so yeah, so I, I came along to graduating and I didn't know what to do. I had no clue what to do. What I, do you I, study? I, what do you study in school? I studied finance and I, I was on my way, I guess, to do, to do some finance stuff. But then I, I don't know, I just didn't go to class enough. And so I think eventually I like failed. <laughs> they kicked me out of the school of business because my grades weren't high enough because I didn't go to class. And I think I ended up managing in, in uh, or I'm sorry, I ended up uh, majoring in, it was like sports management with an outside area of specialization in business because um, it sounded like sportsbook management. That was the only reason I did it. <laughs> yeah. And it was all, like, it had nothing to do with, obviously, <laughs> but it sounded good. Um, so, yeah. So, when I got out, I, I wrote, like, I wrote, like, three letters because basically I was like, all right, I, like, I have nothing to do. I wrote one letter to uh, Jay Cornegay because he was the, the name I knew in Vegas at Imperial Palace. I wrote another letter to Joe Lupo, who was, at the time, the director of the Stardust. And then I wrote another letter to LVSC, um, and this probably, I guess this would have been 2002. And I know Pete Corner from LVSC wrote me back and Jay Cornegay wrote me back. And Pete basically told me, um, you know, we don't hire people who don't have experience working in sports books. Um, but, you know, once you have some sports experience, we'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, Jay wrote me back and basically said, you know, I can't hire you from 3,000 miles away, but if you want to come out here, I'll talk to you. And uh, Joe Lupo never wrote me back. Uh, so I pretty much packed up my car. I think this is a week after I had the letter from Jay. I drove out to Vegas. Um, took me like three days. Um, I showed up at the Imperial Palace HR, applied for the job. And like two days later, I was sitting in Jay's office telling him I knew everything there was to know about sports betting. Um, yeah. So. Wow. So much to digest there. So, so how, how does the support from the family take it? Hey, you know, you know, hey guys, I'm going to be going and moving out to Vegas. I'm looking to try to get a job in Vegas to work in, in the sports book casino industry. Um, is there any pushback or? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like my entire life, my, my dad had kind of tried to talk me out of the whole sports betting thing to the point where I can remember one day I, I came out of, I came out of class and he was waiting there with a uh, gamblers anonymous guy. And so I had to have an <laughs> intervention, <laughs> which at the time, yeah, I thought it was funny at the time too, but I, in hindsight, I mean, I, I get where he was coming from. He was worried. Um, my mom was always kind of the opposite. She was very supportive. Um, and, and not that my dad wasn't supportive. He was just worried. Uh, but my mom, I think trusted me to the point where she, she knew that, you know, what I was in or what I, what I was interested in was had merit and there was people in Las Vegas who did this for a living and, so she was probably the main person that encouraged me to get in my car and drive to Vegas. Um, so yeah, I would say the, the support was there to do, to do what I felt like I loved and what I wanted to do. So yeah, that, that was definitely nice to have um, at, least, at least one of my parents in my corner for that. 
to have one, I think, is a win because yeah, to have I both, I think, is, is 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 so you know, you know, it just uh, I don't see it. You know, you just don't. You know, nobody pays for for a college education um, a, a, to say, hey, listen, I now want to go become a bookie or I want to go become right. you know gamble for a living. It just it doesn't it doesn't at least back then. You know, I guess things have might, might, things have might have loosened up. But you know the stereotype of what are you doing, you know, with your life, or right. it just it just seemed as if, uh, you know, why are you th- you know throwing your life away? That's that's kind of the pushback I kind of got. So, but I I hundred percent, you know. So at least you know your mom was supportive. Did your dad wind up eventually being supportive? Eventually, but he knows. So my dad doesn't really know a lot about sports betting, mm-hmm. and so I know that for the for the I don't want to throw him under the bus here, but for the course of my my career, he was always trying to transition me to like the executive uh wing of the casino so he's always like yeah that's cool you should try to see if they're you know if they're hiring in hotel operations to be like a (laughs) you know a gm of the casino or something like that i was like well yeah that sounds cool i mean that's nothing to do with what i do i love it yeah like yeah i love it okay so jay cornegie who uh who's great so so you you go to work for jay now let's talk about that uh so so the interview you nail the interview and does he hire you did you you know how long do you wait for the acceptance offer what what happens how how, how what what i was gonna say was i I didn't nail the interview because i basically i i told him everything that i thought i knew about sports betting and not knowing that you know he's just looking for more good a good college kid who come in and has good customer service skills. And so I, I don't think he wanted to hear, you know, all these things about sports betting that I, that I was obsessed with, which I, which in hindsight, I entirely agree with him and understand, but at the time I didn't. So this, despite me trying to, you know, show him how much I knew about sports betting, he still hired me. Um, and yeah, I, I started out and, and, uh, started out as a writer, um, did that for about three months and then, um, met, uh, Ed Salmon's, uh, who was the sportsbook manager at the time at the Imperial Palace and realized that, you know, he was kind of the, the head odds maker there. And I had to do whatever I could to uh, kind of impress him, to show him that I deserved kind of that bump up to supervisor. So Jay hires you pretty much based on enthusiasm, which is a big thing. I think enthusiasm is huge. I think, you know, if, if you love what you're doing and you want to kind of be a sponge and learn everything, I think that's such a big thing to look for. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of want to, you know, at least I'm just speaking from experience. If I'm interviewing, you know, you, you don't want to know it all. You kind of want somebody that's confident, but somebody that could actually learn and, and is willing to learn and, and, and wants to learn. So he, he saw that spark in you. He brings you on. Do you, do you, or did you already have all your bags packed or did you have to go back to Florida to, because you don't know if you're getting this job or not. You're just going for an interview. Um, how oh, is I that? Know. No, I packed, I packed my bags. I was, I was there. So, so you, yeah, I, I so you felt confident. You felt confident. I didn't have any other plan. My, my worst case scenario was nobody will hire me. I had enough money for like a month. Um, I had, I had arranged an apartment that was like a sublet for this, from this girl who was, uh, at UNLV at the time, I think, and was not there for the summer. So I, had a, I think I had a month on that and I just figured, you know, if I, if it's not what I think, if I don't find anything, I can always drive back. And so, you know, I wasn't, I don't know. I can remember before I left telling my friends what I was going to do and everybody was like, you think you're just going to drive out to Vegas and get a job at a sports book. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, you know, I don't, I can't imagine there's too many people who are like this, who, whose whole life is revolving around sports betting. And this is all they want to do. Who are just going to like show up there. I go, it can't be that hard. Um, And they kind of think, I think they thought I was kind of crazy, but 
and, and I don't think I was, but in the, but in the end, I mean, you know, seeing how it works, that's, that's the best way to start. And most of the kids that we hired at, at the Westgate back when it was the Hilton and stuff, you know, they have a story similar to mine. It pays the dream, brother. <laughs> so, okay. So let's talk about your time at the Imperial Palace. Um, and this is before Jay, you know, goes to the Hilton, but you know, and you guys, so, so how does that work? So you get, you get, you start ticket writing, you learn, you get bumped up to supervisor. How does that all play out? And what are the roles that you're involved in? Yeah. So I started writing tickets and the thing that I, that I thank, like that I'm so grateful for every day is that I got there in time to work at the Imperial Palace because I don't know, it just, for some reason, I just, I, I love that place more than anything, I, any place I've ever been in, in terms of a sports book. It just meant so much to me. And the fact that I got to work there, even if it was only for a year, it just, it's, it makes me so happy. Um, just that I can like tell that as part of my story. Um, but yeah, so I started as a writer and I probably did that for about three months. And I remember every day I'd walk in with, a, with my bank and I had about 30 seconds where I'd be signing in and Ed would be in the room um, you know, managing, managing the lines, booking the games. And I knew I had like 30 seconds to like try to impress him or try to say something that would make me stand out. So, you know, I, I'd use college football, I think, cause that's what I knew at the time. And they'd always be making numbers and I try to just like get them to throw me the chance to make like, you know, one college football number. And so basically my goal when they would ask me a number was to make my line and then try to make it like just a tough, touchdown sharper like ridiculously sharp so if they asked me what the spread on like you know minnesota michigan was and i thought the line should have been 14 i'd be like oh michigan minus like eight and a half i was basically just trying to like give them some ridiculously stupid sharp line that like you know anybody else would have said oh it should be michigan by like two three touchdowns or something but i was trying to show off that like i wasn't thinking like everybody else and that i that i you know was thinking that the underdog had a chance or something but you know sometimes they look at me and be like what but i could tell that they were like what in the wrong direction like that's crazy you made that line that low like you know wow you you really like you know I, I think I read it right and eventually after doing that for a month or so I, I got an opportunity somebody somebody had to, to leave one supervisors and I got promoted based on that um yeah and then then I got to kind of get into the the whole booking thing I didn't really start doing a lot of odds making but I but I did a lot of booking right off the bat because I would open you know by myself and you know, we put everything up on the board and we, we took a lot of good futures action there. And so, yeah, I got the chance to, to book from day one, which was amazing by myself, which was incredible. So describe that time. Now, how long are you, the, how long are you booking um, there and what sports are you in charge of? So we didn't really do it sport by sport. I mean, Ed did all the futures at the time and we'd come in and do the daily stuff and I opened. And so I come in at 7 a.m. And at that point, you know, it's not like, I didn't have power ratings. I didn't do any, like we're pretty much looking at what's out there and I'm taking consensus of, you know, the shops I respect at the time. I'm probably looking at like Mirage or something. I'm looking at Caesars. I'm looking at the offshores, looking at Chris, um, looking at Pinnacle probably. Um, and yeah, just taking consensus. But back then I didn't really, you know, I didn't really care about odds making at all. I just, I just wanted the book. So I put up, you know, to me it was kind of two separate skills. And so I put up whatever the consensus line was and then it's just time to react to the money. Um, the thing we did there, which I really think is amazing for like young bookmakers is we really charted money like well, and we charted plays. So we had like these, like, uh, these legal pads that we almost turned sideways and we would pick a game and then we basically 
you know, chart for every nickel or every dime and, and write our line move. And we'd show exactly what time we moved it and why we moved it, who moved and who bet it and all this stuff. And it was just, it was invaluable because you could go back, you know, when guys would come in for the late shift, they could come, come in and kind of see step-by-step, step, um, you know, why that line moved and how that line moved. And granted, you know, we had the, the computer system where you could probably figure it out if you took the chance, but it was something about doing that manually that just really gave you a good understanding of how we wanted to book the games. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we, we did that with, I, I remember doing a lot of college basketball. I think I got promoted in uh, probably like around Christmas. So I probably was doing a lot of college basketball at the time. Um, but yeah, we kind of just learned on the fly and it was weird. I felt like I knew a lot more and looking back, I'm like, why did I think I knew so much? But I felt like I, I had a pretty good sense of what I was trying to do right off the bat. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a great time. So, so this is so. So, what years are we talking about that you're that you're booking these sports? This would have been 2003. I started in July, and then I probably got promoted around Christmas of 2003, and then I booked at the IP until probably May of 2004, and then I left in 2004 to go to the uh, the Hilton. The the one thing I remember about the Imperial Palace, and I don't know where this came from, but they would get a lot of players walking across the street from uh, the Mirage because the Mirage would send us so many people, they'd be like, oh, we don't have that, you know, go across the street. But we get big players in there. And I remember that the one thing that I love the most they let me do is when somebody came up and was like, you know, how much, how much can I bet on this? For some reason, they would let me make those determinations and they would let me like interact with the guests. And that's honestly like my favorite thing to do in the world is to come out when somebody wants to bet over the limit and talk to them and decide how much to give them. Um, because I honestly do want to take a real, a, a big bet most of the time, but I'm also not like going to get stupid, but I also think I just like, I have a good read and I guess they recognize that cause they would let me come out as like a 23 year old, like punk kid and like pretty much decide limits for like anybody who walked in the door. And I just thought that was like the most incredible and the most fun thing to do. And it was kind of funny when, you know, Ed or somebody would be out there and be like, well, hold on one second. Uh, we'll see how much you can get. And they'd like <laughs> 23 year old punk kid walks out the back and like makes a determination. But I just love doing it. I just like, that's, that's probably my favorite part of the job is just talking to the customers. And as I've gotten older, you know, when I was young, I, I more kind of just wanted to like, I just liked how it felt from an ego standpoint. But as I got older, I just like getting to know people and trying to understand like what their objectives are, how much they're trying to get down and have like a really straightforward conversation. Because in the end, like, there, it does no good to like sit there and like, you know, bullshit with people and try to like pretend you're going to take like a million dollar bet. Like it just pays to be upfront. You tell me what you're looking to bet. I'll tell you, you know, how much I can give you. And you know, if I can take another bet after that, but you know, I, we're, we're both trying to, to help each other. There's no reason to like make this some kind of weird standoff, you know? Absolutely. So that was pretty cool that Ed kind of let you, you know, uh, let you kind of take the, the managerial role and, and, and allow you to make it, you know, make that decision. Well, and, and obviously it was Jay's, it was Jay's decision. It was the final call. So we got anything that was too big, you know, I'm talking the, the, the difference between somebody betting, you know, two dimes and, and four dimes on a future or something like that. But yeah, any, anything that was, that was, that got to a certain level, obviously needed Jay's approval. Gotcha. No, that that's awesome, man. So, so they real. So, when you guys leave IP to go to the Hilton, how many of you go there? Like, how much of the staff is, is, is goes to the Hilton? So, I know Jay, Jay, and Ed left in June, I think, or maybe even early, maybe May of two thousand four, 
and they didn't take me with them right away. And I remember not really knowing what was going on, but then they called me a month later and were like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to open the Westgate or we're going to open the Hilton. Um, like, or we're going to start at the Hilton in like July. Do you want to come over with us and be part of the team? And I was like, yeah. So um, at that point they told me that it was going to be me, Jeff Sherman and them two. And we were going to basically, you know, take over. I think colony capital had purchased the Hilton around that time. And they had purchased it. I, I don't want to be, I, I want to say from Park Place, but I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, so that book had kind of been slept on for a while. They didn't have a lot of people in there. And, and granted, they'd had some glory days back in the 80s and early 90s, I think. But it, it kind of had been kind of forgotten. Um, so when we went over there, yeah, it was me, Jeff Sherman, Ed and Jay. And that place, like, it was just dead. We went in there and we had to build it, you know, I say from scratch almost because they just didn't have any like existing clientele. And so we kind of just started from, from square one and, you know, did what we thought was best. And it took a while, but we, we built the business up pretty good, I think. Yeah. And for it to be, you know, a wait, not on the strip. Um, and for you guys to be able to, to be able to build that clientele up to, 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 to what it was, was great. So, um, so, you know, in booking all these sports now you're booking, you know, how, when does, how long do you stay at the Hilton and, and, and what, what, what makes you decide to leave? Yeah. So like I said, when we, when we started, I was, I was really excited because, you know, I like building stuff from, from scratch. So I think we all had, you know, our set roles and, and Jay's just amazing at running an overall book. And he, he does an incredible job on every front customer service, everything, you know, and then between Jeff and Ed, they're, they're just two of the, the best odds makers out there. Um, and so, yeah, I got to concentrate, I think, on really on booking games and they kind of, you know, Ed, Ed let me pretty much book college football, college basketball. I'd come in first thing in the morning and pretty much book that to myself. Um, and I just loved that. It was just kind of learning, learning, you know, by kind of like hard knocks and stuff. It was just school of hard knocks. I, I, you know, it was back in the day where we would have all these guys in there betting and you'd look up and a number had moved and there was five guys standing at the counter trying to bet the same thing. And, you know, you had to come up with what, what the, what your idea of like what was ethical and what was fair. And I think that that's one thing that I always placed a lot of pride on. Cause I care about, I care about reputation, not like overly, but I do. I, I, I want, I want everyone to think that they got treated fairly. And so I thought that it was my job as the bookmaker to come up with rules on the spot that were fair. Cause I didn't want those guys to feel like, you know, somebody had an advantage over them or like we were out there to screw certain guys and, and help other ones. And, you know, so I think we just did a lot of stuff that resonated um, in terms of how we booked the games and the limits we took. And we didn't have limit sheets and stuff, but we were we were fully transparent. And, you know, everybody knew what to get. You know, we didn't throw anybody out. We like, you know, we get annoyed at certain guys who who did certain stuff. But, you know, it, it wasn't like I, I think for the most part, it was just a refreshing approach. And, and over time we just, you'd get more and more people coming who were referred from other places. And the futures had a big, had a big, uh, had a big impact on that. I think, you know, Ed, Ed manages some of the best future books that I've ever seen in terms of just his consistency and his whole percentages. And that would drive people from other properties to come to us. And, you know, the first year was slow. We had nothing but professional play pretty much. But after that, you'd see people start to trickle in and it was just a slow kind of thing where, you know, in October, like 2004, we probably had like five or six decent players. And then the next year we had, you know, 10 or 15. And then they just kind of 
word of mouth and it kind of just hits a point where a tipping point where you all of a sudden you look up and there's all these, you know, guys are out there gambling and, you know, you've got a good healthy mix of, of sharps and, you know, it was just a, it's just a good book. And I, I think the one thing about the weather skate or the Hilton um, that made it really good was that mix of players that you saw maybe like the stardust and stuff like that, where you had just people from all walks of life who just love sports betting and it contributes to the energy in the room. And it just makes, it's, it's hard to like quantify what makes a good sports book. Um, but it definitely has something to do when you walk in that room and you can feel the action and you can feel people who love sports betting and this is their life. You just feel the energy. And I like, I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about, but I don't know if everybody does, but just like that action in the room. And it's like, that's how you know if you have a good sports book. And that's my goal when we're opening these books current present day. I'm like, I just want that. I want the rooms to feel like that. And you got to take, you got to take big bets to make the room feel like that. Honestly, you can't shy away from action. The room has to have that dynamic. So. I love it. When does the, you know, just, just thinking, you know, of what my runners used to tell me about, when does the thousand dollar minimum window get created? That was a, uh, that was a Super Bowl creation. I'm pretty sure. I think we, we made that for Super Bowl um, because the lines were just so absurdly long. Um, you know, the lines would go all the way back past the buffet to the point where, you know, it would take you an hour to get to the counter in the beginning. And sometimes cause we didn't have, we probably didn't have enough writers. Um, but yeah, we threw the thousand dollar window in there to basically, you know, give some of the bigger players a chance to get their bets in. Cause I mean, you don't, you don't want to, you want to say every bet is the same and it's all important, which it is, but at the same time you do have higher players and you know, you are going to cater to them getting their bigger bets in to some degree. So we utilize that for March madness and for, uh, for the Super Bowl. but certain times we break that out because we get, we get so busy, um, you know, before like on a random Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for NBA stuff, when there's college games going off too. Um, that we'd have to break that out, you know, so we kind of just played it by ear. If, if the lines got more than like seven deep, um, we'd usually use that. And I hate queuing. I like, I hate queuing lines and queuing systems because the people at the front of the lines tend to fall asleep and they don't, you just end up with writers going next. No, sir, sir, sir. And it wastes so much time. Like I, I love the way the South Point does their lines, which is basically just like, okay, find a line, find a window, get in line and bet. Like we're not going to sit here and, you know, cue it all the way back through the middle and cue, wrap it around the VSIN studios. Like, you know, they just find a window and get your bet in. I think that's oh. how it should be. So pretty much every bookmaker I know actually, you know, bets on the side. Are you betting at all while you're booking? I haven't bet in a year, which is insane to me. Um, I'm talking about back then, back then, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so I started betting probably, well, I moved to Vegas thinking that betting on sports and making money was impossible. I just didn't think that was like something that was possible because I had kind of tried and I just didn't think anyone could do it. And then I came to Vegas and, you know, I'd see guys, you know, like Billy Walters and them betting and I'm like, well, they seem to be really good at this, but um, I don't think I could ever do it. Um, I think that changed when, when I was actually at the Imperial Palace and one day I came in and Ed Sammons was watching a NASCAR practice on NASCAR.com, but there was some kind of like paywall where you had to pay $5 a month to kind of see their speeds during practice. And so I'm like, what are you, what are you looking at? And he's like, Oh, these are practice speeds. And he's like, I really think there's something to this stuff. So we start watching these practice speeds and this is probably like Friday and the race is Sunday. And we're looking at it and I don't know what track it was, but we're looking and like Jeff Gordon's like three miles an hour faster than Bobby Labonte. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Well, you know, we're watching every lap, every lap ticks by and he's three miles an hour faster. And Ed's like, well, what would you make that price? Jeff Gordon versus Bobby Labonte. I'm like, well, after watching that, I'm like $3. And he's like, oh, well, I think I saw that. At, you know, this might be a bad example. I don't know if this match existed, but um, 
he's like, I think I saw that price at like a dollar thirty at Flamingo. And I'm like, really? He was like, yeah. He's like, I really think they're just like kind of looking at past history and making these prices and not taking into account these cars. I'm like, the fact that, you know, the practice times, he's like, I don't think this is in the line. And I'm like, I'm like, maybe. And I'm, so we watched practice, I think for another half an hour. I think I walked next door to Flamingo after and I, I saw the lines and I'm like, dude, this is crazy. I'm like, I would literally make some of these lines like $4. Um, and so I think we watched it for a week. And then I think after that, we probably started betting it a little. And then from that point on, it was just, um, it, I don't, I want to use your free money reference from before, but back in old NASCAR, there was, there was a certain, there were certain rules that were, that were not in effect yet. So for example, they didn't have this lucky dog thing, not to get too much into NASCAR here, but if you got a lap down in a NASCAR race, now you can get it back. If you're, if you, there's a certain way to get your lap back back then, if you got down two laps, you were down two laps. Um, and the, the cars were different. They weren't as they were just different. They weren't as safe and instituted all the safety stuff. So there was a, there was a bigger um, difference between the, the fast cars and the slow cars. And so there was just a huge discrepancy in, in what the price should be. And, and basically, you know, what the price was because this information wasn't absorbed. And I don't know if we were the first people to kind of recognize that, but it feels like we were. Um, so at least in Las Vegas. So we, you know, I go around in Las Vegas and, and bet these matchups and, you know, honestly, if, if we didn't go, if we didn't go 18 and four every week, we were pissed. I mean, if we ever went like 14 and 10, we'd be like, that was a bad week. It was just, it, it was so crazy. And, and, um, I want to say I'm exaggerating, but I'm not, it was just, you know, we'd walk in, I'd walk into a casino like the Palms, they'd have 10 matchups on the board and, you know, I'd, I'd walk up, I wouldn't even cap it. I just know who was fast. I'd walk up, bet all 10, go to the back of the room, wait for them to move it, go back, Bet them all 10 again. And, and, and that's where I get into a lot of this stuff with, with, you know, good bookies and bad bookies in terms of how you move a line. Um, a lot of these bookmakers in Vegas at the time didn't know how to react to money. And so, or, or to what I thought was sharp money, maybe they didn't think I was sharp, but you know, moving a line 10 cents in a, in a market like a NASCAR matchup is not going to be effective long-term unless you're looking to get your head kicked in. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of how it all started with the NASCAR for me. And then I, um, I, I kept betting that on the side for probably, you know, the, the remainder of my time at the Hilton. Um, and at some point I kind of, after I believed that betting on sports was possible and you can make a living doing it, I kind of started branching out into other sports and started making power ratings for college football and college basketball, which I'd always known about, but always just been kind of too lazy to do and not really saw any reason to do it. But then when I started doing that, probably in 2006 or seven, I started betting college football and doing well and same with college basketball. So. Yeah, it, it happened pretty quickly in terms of getting into betting. So, it, eventually, does your betting earn uh, outweigh your, you know, working your bookmaking earn uh, working for the Hilton? Yeah, it got it got to a point where, um, you know, I could see that I was costing myself money by staying at the at the Hilton from a standpoint of I just couldn't put enough time into it, and so, you know, I I liked working. Um, for a book, because I come out there kind of to be in that industry and, you know, and, and to be a, a sports book director and all that stuff. But I just got the sense that I was going to learn more focusing on my betting at that time. And so I, I left in 2000, um, probably summer of 2010 to focus on, uh, you know, betting solely. And how do, the, how, do the guys, how do the guys take it when you tell them you're going to go become a better? I think they understood. I mean, I don't, 
think I, I don't think they wanted me to leave, but at the same time, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, it it was hard for them to come up with some you know big big raise monetarily for me to to stay just because we had so much talent there. We had, I mean, we had so many sharp guys working there. I mean, it was it was myself, uh, Jay, Ed, um, Jeff Sherman, uh, John Murray was there. Chris Bennett, who's my sports manager at the time, was there. Um, yeah, there was just so many guys there that you know. It, it was hard to like to pay all that talent in that environment. Um, so I think they understood. Um, but the, the, the reason that I, I think it was so valuable for me was because I was never really, I didn't consider myself really an odds maker at that point. And I really didn't have a lot of, I didn't really have a lot of, um, you know, I'd done my college football numbers and stuff like that, but I didn't have a ton of experience kind of running future book pools and, and that kind of stuff. But I think I was forced once I had the time on my hands to kind of dive deeper into just making numbers and coming up with like some real type of process in terms of, you know, how I'm getting to these bets and, and trying to, you know, whittle things out. But, but also I can remember at one point the NASCAR to me dried up in 2009 because I was just winging NASCAR bets. I was just walking into a casino and going, this guy's fast, this guy's slow. I'm going to lay 130. And at some point the market caught up to me and I realized that, I couldn't wing bets anymore. Like the numbers were, were past that. And, and I, and I wasn't, I went a year there where I like, I barely made any money. And so when I quit the Westgate, which is weird because I quit at a time when, when I basically was doubting the fact that I could bet NASCAR anymore. Um, it forced me to kind of look through things and figure out a way to kind of root my, um, root my plays more in like numbers and root my plays more in, in like actual, substance than the way I was doing it and the stuff I came up with after I quit in 2010 was infinitely made I mean I it was like somebody flipped a light switch all of a sudden I knew what I was doing and I and I had a process to betting and I and you know I I didn't have to to ask myself is this a play I could look through my numbers and be like no this is a play up to this number and that was what I think I gained by by putting more time into the betting that you know it had to be treated differently than I was treating it. And it had to be rooted in, in numbers because, you know, in a really weak market, you could root it in just, you know, you're, you're not, I don't say my gut, but you could just root it in the, in the general knowledge of something. But, you know, when you got down to it and the market got better, I had to root it in something. And so I came up with a, a really good rating system and, and I used that probably for until the day I stopped playing NASCAR. So it, it was something that I tweaked and I adjusted, but it was something that always made money for me. And it was, it was probably the best move I ever made uh, leaving the Westgate. So life as a professional better, how does that work out? And, um, and how long do you do that for? Um, I did that for seven years and I loved every second of it. Um, just because I'm somebody who struggles with, with having, having a boss or working for people and it let me set my own schedule. Um, I met my wife, I think in 2010, right around when I was quitting and she at the time was still in Florida and it allowed me to travel and go back and forth and see her. And so I was just able to set my schedule. You know, I'd wake up when, when I wanted to wake up and go to the gym if I wanted to and then work, you know, I could work 16 straight hours if I felt like it, but I had the ability to break it up however I wanted to. And it really, it really suited my lifestyle. The only thing that it did was it isolated me so badly from a social standpoint that I don't think I realized it until I went back to work in 2018. I just, I kind of lost the ability to like, deal with people and to have like just normal conversations. And I like kind of developed like 
social anxiety disorder. And like, it just, I, I had no idea what was happening at the time, but like, you know, you're, you're not working in a conventional office space. You're not dealing with a lot of people. You know, I'm running around the casinos and I love that part of it. I love going into the casinos and shopping lines. I think I hear, I hear uh, uh, Crackman talk about that all the time about how he loves that, you know, that pace of life, like, ah, oh, go to the South Point, go to the, and I love that. I was just like, I, that routine of just having these different books where you check in and almost the adrenaline rush of knowing that there's a number at this book that you have to try to get to in time. I, I just, I, I eat that all up. Um, but yeah, it came with a somewhat of a price. It took me a while to adjust back to uh, having a real job and kind of being in the real world again. Um, but yeah, that was seven years and I wouldn't trade that seven years for like any, anything. I mean, it was, it was just, it was amazing. That level of freedom and you know, the ability to make money um, like that. I just, I, I will never take that for granted, even though sometimes during it, I probably did, but it, it's yeah so the guys that are out there doing doing this right now or doing that right now I'm, I'm sure they, they know what I'm talking about I would think um but yeah so uh I met I met Derek Stevens in 2018 and talked to him about possibly doing something and uh, coming back and starting a sports book with him and and decided to go that route but yeah how does that meeting happen that meeting was kind of random uh I actually uh he was interviewing one of my friends at the time for the job. And I was, I was trying to get my friend to take the job because I was all excited to come to have, have him take it and me kind of be the number two behind the scenes guy. Um, and my friend ended up not taking the job and he mentioned my name. And so I kind of just out of nowhere, I got a call from Mike Van Ehrman who works for me now. And he, um, he said, Hey, uh, I work for the D would you like to come down and talk to us about, you know, maybe running our sports book. Uh, and, I was like, sure. So I, I, I came down there and talked to Derek and uh, Mike Palm and Dave Tuttle. And I think we talked for about an hour and a half and we really hit it off um, in terms of just, you know, our passion for sports betting and me and me and Derek's passion for sports betting and just my, my love of the history of Las Vegas. And, you know, it just seemed like a perfect fit. And I kind of had it in my head that I think probably for the past couple of years that I'd wanted to kind of come back and wanted to kind of get back involved in this, but I just didn't know if the right opportunity would ever present itself because I had such a specific view of like how I thought things should be done. And then honestly, I had been out of the industry for so long. I didn't think anybody knew who I was and I didn't think that anybody would give me a chance. So when I met Derek and he offered me the job and, and I could tell that he was the kind of guy who trusted his people and would, would let me kind of execute. Um, I was just like, I can't pass this up. This is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so, yeah, so I took it. Awesome, man. What a great story, brother. So let's talk about a little bit of like, you know, bookmaking theory and stuff. Um, and, 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 you know, just your philosophy on everything. Um, you know, with respect to, let's just say profiling customers, you know, how, how, you know, how, you know, bookmaking one-on-one, why do you move a line? How hard do you move a line? You know, how, how do you guys have some type of profiling system? What kind of, you know, what, what buckets do you put different customers in? Right. So we, we don't have a, a ton of, um, a ton of categories that we, that we kind of slot people in, um, currently at Circa, we basically have in terms of the limits that is, so we have a standard category, which anybody gets, if you sign up for an account, you're in our standard category and you get, you know, what's our limit sheets. Um, you know, if we'll extend limits to people, if we don't think, you know, that they're, if they're, if they're not going to put us in spots where we're not comfortable with that, that's the main thing. So, I can take as much as I, as, I, as I want if I'm comfortable that I can maneuver myself and get to where I want to get. And that's what the limits are in place for. And that's why I always say, you know, the limits are going to be a direct reflection of our volume because, you know, if we're handling a million dollars on a football game, 
obviously, you know, $10,000 out of a million is not a significant amount. I can afford to give out a bigger bet than that. So then I tell people, be patient. You know, our limits will go up. It's because I anticipate our volume going up. Um, so yeah, I try to give out a bet that I think is a fair size to a customer um, and whether they're sharp or not, um, you know, that, that I think is worth their time to come and gamble because like I said, they're giving us information. Um, and if we're going to react to that information, um, we have to make it worth their while. So I, I try to put myself in their place as much as possible when assigning limits and say, do I think this is fair? And if I think it's fair, then I try it. Um, but yeah, if, if there's certain guys who aren't as price sensitive and I can work with their money and I don't have to worry about, you know, getting stuck in a spot that puts me in a spot I don't want to be in, then I can afford to give them a little more. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's strictly all relative. And, and so I will increase limits because more volume means that I can't get put in a spot that I'm uncomfortable with as easily. So, um, in terms of reacting to sharp money, you know, there's a hundred different buckets that you could put players in, in terms of what their play is like. So it's hard to get, you know, we know all these guys because they bet with us frequently. So we have an idea and we, we debate this all the time. We'll talk about individual players and say, you know, what do you think, what do you think they're doing here? What do you think their, their sport, you know, we can go back and look at the numbers and see the returns in certain sports and, and how they're doing overall. But, but there's a lot of discussion of just like, you know, what kind of player is this guy? What's he doing? Is he arbitraging? Is he, is he more than that? Does he have an opinion? Does he have information? Um, and honestly, like we're kind of speculating it, but at the same point, like my opinion on somebody can change from day to day. There might come like on Monday, I might say, Oh, this guy's plays. I don't care about them. Like I don't even need to see them. And then by Wednesday I might say, Oh, let me see what he's playing. Like, you know, everything he bets, I might want to move a couple cents. And then by the, you know, two weeks later, everything he bets, I might move, you know, 10 cents or something. So stuff changes and you're right sometimes and you're wrong other times. And, you know, it's a, it's a constant evolution. And that's why I think I like it. You're just reacting to information, whether it's, you know, news related, weather related, or whether it's information based on what people are playing. So um, when people ask, you know, how much can I bet on that? I can answer them in the moment, but I can't answer that, you know, two days from now because I, there's so many other contributing factors that will allow me to make that decision that when people call on the phone and want to know what they can bet, it's almost like a waste of time. I mean, I'll, I'm giving you the minimum limit for that sheet, but if you need to bet more, you got to ask me when you're ready to bet it because people love to ask how much can I have when they don't really want to bet it at that point in time. And the answer probably is going to be different depending on, you know, when you actually come to bet it from when you ask me, because it might be more, you know, you might ask me on Monday and I might say, you can have 10 dimes on that. And then come see me Friday and, and there's more information. I feel more comfortable than ever. And I might say you can have 30 dimes on that. So, you know, what, whose idea was it to produce a limit sheet for your customers? It's one of my favorite things. I think it should be required by everybody. So I was writing that out the day we opened because the writers needed to know how much we took. And so I was scribbling down that for the writers. And then I think, I don't know whether I said it or somebody said, they're like, why don't you just give that to the customers? And I said, okay, well, I guess we can do that. And so I think we ran copies of the limit sheet that I had handwritten just for the writers and just gave them to all the customers. And then uh, my one guy in the back was like, let's just have a limit sheet and then, you know, make it, type it up and make it, you know, something we put out on the sheet every day. And I was or on the rack every day. And I said, okay, perfect. That works. Um, you know, we wanted to be transparent, but I had never seen, I'd never seen a limit sheet sitting in a book. And that's not to say it hasn't ever happened. I'm sure somebody throughout Las Vegas history has done it. And I know Bert Osborne at the South Point 
put limits on all his sheets. I know stations has always put limits on all their sheets. Um, but I wanted to be even more kind of upfront about it and consolidate it and put it in one place so people could easily reference it. Um, but yeah, I'm not saying I invented that or anything, but I, I think it works for us and it allows us to accomplish our goal, which is we want the perception that, you know, we're not back here, you know, trying to, trying to like do a bait and switch where we're, where we're saying, Oh yeah, you can have five dimes and that. Then you walk to the counter and we're like, no, we'll take a dime. And, and that's one thing that I, that I hate about my Las Vegas sportsbooks experiences is depending on the time of day you go in some of these books. And again, I haven't bet for the past year, so I can only speak to pre, you know, 2019 and before, but a lot of these books you go into and what you're told at 10 AM that the limit is, is not the limit at 3 PM. And then the limit at 3 PM is not the limit at 11 PM. And it's, it's so dependent on whoever's working. And a lot of the supervisors think that it's their job to look at you and determine what your limit should be because they think that's inherent to like what they get paid for. And, you know, I just don't think that's how it should work. That's way to, you're not, they're not basing their decision on anything other than trying to kind of show you there, there was a time where you walk into a Vegas sports book and you know, you probably want to say double of what you thought you wanted to bet. So if they ask you how much you wanted that you wanted five dimes, you should probably say 10 because they're probably going to tell you half of what you want. And it just, you know, I probably don't need to tell you this again. This is probably me just telling you stuff you know. No, this, this is exactly the, you know, when I used to bet at Olympic sports, <clears throat> the Greek, this is exactly what we do. I'd, I'd always ask for double what I wanted. So then the guy would feel good cutting me in half, which is pretty much what right. I wanted to be anyway. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great thing. It just, I, I just find it crazy that, that a limit sheet is not an industry standard thing. And I think, you know, um, that you're right. There's a bait and switch type thing. And then, and, and, you know, I, I think that people's intentions are, uh, are, are not in the right place, unfortunately. I don't know why, you know what I mean? Just like every slot machine, every table game ha has a max limit there. Why, why shouldn't a sports book have that? It just doesn't, you know, make sense. But it's one of my favorite things that you guys offer. Um, with respect to odds making, bookmaking, what, you know, are you an odds maker, a bookmaker, both? Where do you stand? Yeah, I think present day I'm an odds maker. Um, I still don't consider that to be my primary like love and, and like the best, the, the thing I'm best at. Um, but yeah, I, I always consider myself more of a bookmaker, but I think, you know, becoming a professional sports better for those years kind of forced me into an odds maker role and taught me enough to where I could get by. And, and I think my college football numbers are, are decent, but anytime you're, anytime you're making odds, like there's, there's some kind of like inherent, I don't even know, I don't inherent is the wrong word, but it's like a, it's like a, a sum. I don't know what that word is when you, when you add like one plus one is two, but like, you know, two plus two is like eight or something like that. Yeah, sy that synergy. Like, yeah. It's like a, a multiplication effect where, so if you take one odds maker who's good, and you add in another odds maker who's good, it's more than one plus one equals two. Like mm -hmm. the strength, the strength you get from two good odds makers making a number and adding in a third odds maker is just crazy. I mean, it's, it's just so hard for two good odds makers to make numbers and really mess things up. And, and me and, and me and Matt Lindemann did it a couple times last year where we put off, put up college football numbers that were, you know, way, way off and didn't consider everything when we, when we hung them. But you know, your number is just infinitely better when you combine it with another capable odds maker. Um, so yeah, I think I've, I've gotten better, but in the end, it's like I say, like the guys who do this for a living, who, who have the chance, the time, the money to, to sit there and really just like, you know, invest in, in one sport or, or a couple sports, they're always going to make better numbers than us to some degree. And that's where the bookmaking part of it comes in. And, and all day, I think bookmaking is more important than odds making, um, because the bookmaker is going to 
position himself accordingly, read the market, decide, you know, where he wants to be on this game based on the information. And yeah, it helps if he has an idea of, you know, why a number is where it is or why, why it opened where it should be. But, you know, at some point it, to me, it almost becomes irrelevant. Um, but that said, I like, I like having that odds making experience and being a bookmaker, but you know, our one of the, the guy who's one of our, our best bookmakers um, in the back, uh, Glenn Herzog, he's one of the best bookmakers I've ever met and he doesn't make odds. And one of the just purest bookmakers I've met, just great at, great at his job and doesn't really have an interest in odds making. And, you know, wants to hear about, you know, why a number opened this or is interested in it, but just loves to book. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. I think that's, you know, there's, to me, there's a, there's a definitive line between the two skills. And if he wants to concentrate on that, I think that's, that's cool. So. Love it. So, um, you know, with respect, you know, you said it, it, there's the more odds makers you have, the, the the better the number is. How many, you know, like, let's just say college football. How many guys are you? Is it just you making a number? Do you have multiple people making a number? How many people are are are, are putting going into that soup? Honestly, the past year uh, before Matt Matt Lindeman left us, I think in January. But before that, it was just me and him. You know, we'd go through our numbers every Saturday night, staying up till probably like three in the four in the morning. This is separately. So I'd, I'd do my adjustments. He'd do his adjustments. And then he'd run all his uh, – all run whatever he was running. Um, and then uh, we'd go through the numbers probably, I'm thinking, about 10 a.m. after the NFL games kick. And we would just really quickly, you know, throw out our numbers to each other. And 90% of the games we were in a point, you know, a point, two points of each other. And then there's the 10% where, you know, we're a little further off. And most of the time, if, if we hit a, a snag there where we're off, it's, it's a quick discussion. Um, where I will tell him why I think that he's wrong and he'll tell me why he thinks I'm wrong. And then one of us will usually concede to the other person's point because it usually makes sense. And then, you know, in the end, if, if it doesn't, we'll kind of just split the number somewhere. If, we, if we, neither of us win the other over. But like I said, like it, it doesn't really matter that much to me. Once we get that number up and we take a bet, you know, I've talked about this before. We, we just, you kind of know, you just kind of know like, what you or not that you were wrong but you kind of just see the bet you're like okay they laid lsu minus seven and i was kind of leaning that way with my rating that makes sense and you kind of just go with it and you you, you always have a sense of why they played the bet and, and if you don't it's probably an injury you missed honestly it's probably like an offensive line injury that you missed or something with the quarterback and you go back and you find what you missed and you might not find it till tuesday but you know eventually you find it and you go like all right that was it um but i i just like getting the numbers up and letting people bet because i I had this affinity for um, for markets that don't have a lot of information. I, I really like, I love just throwing a number out there and like letting the market kind of figure it out. And I like to think that I'm good in markets with very little information because I think that's where experience can come into play. And I think that I have an edge in experience. I think once the number gets hammered out and you're sitting at like Wednesday or Thursday, I think I've probably lost any edge that I had in terms of betting and, and maybe sometimes even booking and getting people on the wrong side. So I, I just, I think the sooner we can get something up, the more it plays to kind of um, my strength and, and our strength as bookmakers. Beautiful. I love the philosophy. So when it comes to bookmaking, how many, like let's say on a college basketball Saturday, how many guys are, are run are, are, are moving numbers? So we separate out by sport. Usually, so there's usually uh, like on college basketball Saturday, we've got three guys normally booking college basketball. We probably could use two more, honestly. Um, but but it's such a 
it's such an experience type thing. So it's hard to throw guys in booking sports like that, you know, that don't have a ton of experience. So we've got a lot of young guys who I think have incredible potential. Um, and I think it's a matter of them kind of getting their reps. And I think within a year or two years, I think these will be the guys who are, you know, booking stuff by themselves, but you know, on a typical Sunday or Saturday, you know, we're spreading it out and saying, all right, you got NBA, NHL, you've got college basketball, uh, you know, the first 50 games, I'll take the next 50 games. Um, and then the goal to me is to try to keep that. It, it be, it's ideal to have somebody be able to book a game from start to finish because that way they know the whole story and they don't have to, they don't have to relay the story to somebody else because when you're changing shifts at like 2 PM and you book the game all morning and then somebody else comes in and they're booking it till it starts at 7 PM, it's tough to do that because you're, you're trying to tell them what every bet meant to you and they weren't there to experience mm-hmm. what that bet meant in the moment. So that's where you really run into trouble. So we tried to kind of schedule our shifts so that, you know, for the most part, we're, we're booking games start to finish because I think that really helps us. It's beautiful. It's, I, I practice the same thing. I have one guy that works Monday through Saturday and he's off Sunday because so he knows right. everything about the college football markets. And this kind of right. goes this kind of goes back to your legal pad thing where you would write notes down when you guys were booking at the Hilton. Uh, you know, to ha- we have we have our own internal note system process. So we'll just say, you know, we think this is going here. This is why we bet this. So just like you know, you're booking why you know you have a number there. We kind of have our own internal thing why we bet this line so that if somebody's sick or somebody's not coming in, the next guy will know, okay, now I know why we're on this position, what we should look out for, et cetera. Do you guys have a similar, you know, passing information along when people are not physically there? Yeah. So we're in our system. We can, we can kind of tag bets and we'll, um, we'll actually write on certain parts. We can make notes in the system and say, you know, Spanky played this at minus 12. Um, and for how much and kind of just get the, the one thing that you have to be on the same page is, is what that means when let's say you make a bet, we all have to be on the same page as how we're going to deal with your bets. And that's where I think communication comes into play and everybody being on the same page and talking through, you know, what this player's bet means in this situation, because we don't really reference that, you know, every, it's not saying it in there, like spanky bet minus minus one thirteen. move it. We move to minus one We're just saying, you know, we would say spanky three K, Minus 113. Um, so we can see where you bet for that. And then you kind of have to go back and interpret what happened after that if we didn't, if we didn't kind of reference it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's got to be notated because, you know, we're, we're always, you know, I'm not saying we're exclusively booking to the guys that bet with us, but, you know, you, you take on all this information and you have opinions about certain players. And obviously, whoever you respect most is kind of the direction you're going to go when you're booking the games. The, the one thing I'll say, the longer I booked, the less kind of black and white I am about that. And I used to be, I can remember back when I was younger, you know, if Billy Walters made a bet. I would just be like, this is the dead nuts right side book to this it's all day. Like I would lose track of like the number. I just be like, all right, Billy laid three, you know, go to five and just write all day. Um, you know, as I've gotten older, I don't overreact as much to one player. Um, and I think I, I'm able to kind of meld it all into kind of one just kind of overall game that I'm booking. And I don't just say, I'm going to go to war with this one side because this guy played it. It's just more like a piece of the pie. Now, granted, certain players become a bigger piece of the pie, but I don't know. My brain's just allowed me to not as be black, not be as black and white when I'm booking a game and be okay with writing bets that are, you know, 
on the same side as the sharp side at the worst number, which I used to struggle with when I was young. I didn't want anybody else to lay the same side as the sharp bet, but I had, you know, I had to learn the lesson that the bet at minus three was not the same bet at minus four. But when you're young, you don't necessarily think like that. You just think, no, that's the right side. And you get confused by that whole right side thing. And honestly, the right, as you know, the right side is, you know, depending on the number you got. So I, I it's it's such, a, such, an important, such an important concept. There's no such thing as a right side. There's a right side right. at the right number. And, and right. so many people just that come up in a business don't understand that part. Let, you know, let, let's, I want to talk about an auto line mover because I think that so many people lack this you know, in Vegas or, and mostly and even in the offshores. You know, if somebody lays you, bets you on a full game, you know, you got to adjust sometimes. You know, everything's correlated. So your first half, your quarters might have to move. All these things are moving, and you guys are manually moving all these things. You know, it, you know, it must be a nightmare. Uh, uh, you know, when somebody bets you a full game, is the do you manually move the first half, or are you waiting to take a uh, to book a bet on the first half to move it? What is happening? What would you like to see? Uh, what tool do you think would help you? Um, to be able to, instead of, you know, racing to try to beat players, to instead being able to profile and then book accordingly? So at, at our book, we're, we're kind of like really sick with our derivative moves, and I, I'm the worst at it. I could move, for every bet I take, I could probably make like seven line moves. Like I could, I could, I could walk it all the way out to like a few, like – Odds to win the Super Bowl if I tried, like taking taking a, a first half bet. Like, I, it's hard for me to shut my brain off. I just want to move. Like, I think everything impacts everything, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of the OCD. It's the OCD in me. So yes, when we take a when we take a bet on the first half, it moves the game. When we take a bet on the first quarter, it moves the first half, which in turn moves the game. So everything is connected. That said, we do not have an auto line mover. So every time you see in our system, you know, where you bet something, you know, that's why we ask people not to double pop us on the game in the first half because we have to move it manually. And, you know, if you came to our counter, we wouldn't let you do it. But on the app, it's sometimes available to do that way. But, you know, I'll usually give you a call and be like, hey, I know you didn't probably mean anything by it, but is there, you know, can you just not double pop the game in the first half? I'm not, I'm unable to control that on the app at this point to not let you do it, but I don't want it. Um, so to me, it's the same thing. Like you're double popping pretty much. The thing that it gets in the way of, which I hate, is that it affects the limits because, you know, the fact that I don't have an auto line mover and people are sometimes betting line moves and, and, you know, you might have three, four guys playing the same thing at one time. I have to take that into account and I have to give a less of a limit than I would take because of these other guys all playing at the same time, but they don't know that and they shouldn't have to worry about that. So I have to build that into my limits, which in turn makes me have lower limits on some stuff than I'd like. Of course, that's what makes, that's what makes the industry in general have lower limits on the app because they don't want, they have to protect themselves and it's understandable. I think just, it just, I just, you know, you look at a place like Pinnacle who's had an auto line mover, you know, for more than a decade, Chris, you know, put their auto line mover in in 2013, Um, you know. When you see Chris move from, you know, three flat to three minus 26, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's just to protect themselves. They're not going to keep the three minus 26. They'll Correct. probably move to three and a half, dollar 15, whatever it is. I'm just saying it, it, how important is it and why in 2020 does everybody not, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, like as a player, I'm happy that there's no auto line mover. But I'm just saying, you know, as a, for a bookmaker, how is an auto line mover not a standard tool that everybody has? You know, why should you have to move all these derivatives when you take a bet on the full game why isn't that automatically happening yeah there's no good answer and and these are things we've asked for 
And I believe we're getting within the next six months a year. Um, I think they're on the way. But like you said, this stuff has existed in other markets for a long time and it's put us at a competitive disadvantage. So, you know, you're, you're right in everything you say. Um, there, there is something that I like, you know, I'll probably miss not having to move all those markets myself because it's kind of like a badge of honor that you can, how fast you can move you know, oh, yeah. the game the first half of the quarter. Like I kind of like doing it, but I won't miss it when it's gone. And it'll, it'll put us in a spot where we can do what we're here for, which is to take bets. So I, I'm on the same page with you. It, it'll be, it'll be here eventually. I, um, and I think it's sooner than later. I think it's, I honestly think it's within the next six months. We've, we've, we've talked to, you know, our technology providers and, and they, they understand what a critical part it is. But I think a lot of it was, you know, we're one of the first books in Nevada that's looking to take these large limits on the app. And, and granted, I know, I know CG, CG tech was, was doing that too for a while, but I don't think they were on the same technology as we were. And so I think it's a priority now and people understand it. So I think we'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. You, 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 you know, eventually, you know, you, you know, to have, you know, this is 2020, you know, what percentage of your business is retail versus online just off the top of your head? Oh, right. I mean, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but obviously yeah. it's well over, it's well over 50% is our, is our, uh, is our app business versus our counter. Yeah, so, so you kind of want, you know, you want to have the same limits or, you know, like even like I bet Chris today will take more online than they will on the phone which to me you know when they gave me that rule back in 2013 i'm like whoa, whoa what the hell you want you want more online than you do on the phone this is completely contrarian to what i'm used to because just like you said your badge of honor my badge of honor was how i could call four books uh, you know with different phones one right, in each like year, one on my you know one on my lap and one you know on the counter on speaker so you know I mean, all these things this was this is what we have to go through, but now everything is just streamlined to be able to just happen on, uh, you know, automatically, electronically, and whatnot. So I, I'm just hoping, you know, that one day, you know, the whole industry catches up where everything is just based on, you know, your limits are the same or more online than they are. And I understand why they're not today. Um, well, that's you hit the you hit the nail on the head there. That the answer is, you know, what are what are these books' goals and their objectives? If their objective is volume and their objective is taking as, as much action as they can, then that would obviously lead us towards a scenario where they're trying for the line mover because they want, because the app facilitates that. But I don't think that's necessarily been the goal of a lot of these sports books, at least in Nevada. Their goal is not to write as much money as they can. Their goal is to write as much of what they deem the right money as they can. And, you know, those don't have to be mutually exclusive, but I think they've kind of made them be. And I, I'm of the belief that you can write as much of the right kind of money and as much of the sharp money as you can and still have a really profitable business model that's, that's even more profitable than the guys who are trying to just write the right money. I mean, maybe not percentage-wise, but definitely, you know, dollar-wise. Yes. And, that, and that's all that matters. Who well said. Else? Well said, of course, of course. Okay. A prominent bookmaker once told me, I won't mention names, he told me, if you bet your own opinion, you can play here. However, if you're only betting steam or you're betting line moves, your action is frowned upon and you're not welcome to bet here. What are your thoughts on that statement? It's, it's two different views of sports betting. And so the person who said that doesn't view sports betting as like a market. They're not viewing it as like a financial market. They're viewing it as we're, we're here – you know, doing, I don't want to say doing you a favor. That's the wrong word, but yeah, it's almost like we're, we're offering you action contingent that, you know, you're playing in a more recreational manner. And I don't view sports betting in that, in that same vein. I, to me, it's a financial market like anything else, or that's how I want it to be. 
So to me, it's completely unemotional or it should be. I'm not saying that I'm always unemotional about it, but you know, when somebody, this is the, this is the biggest thing that I run into on a daily basis. People will either bet the, bet the, uh, bet both sides of a game and call me and apologize, which I'm like, I don't know what you're apologizing for. Or they'll like, or they'll ask me, Hey, what happens if I bet both sides of a game? And then I'll say, I don't know. You lose the juice. I, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't understand where this comes from. And so I really rally like hard against it. And I had a guy text me yesterday apologizing for betting both sides of a game. And I'm like, I'm like, you're seriously insulting me right now that you're calling me and saying that because it, what do I care if it's you Spanky who bets, you know, back the same side of the game you laid three on or somebody else bets. The bet is a bet. The money's the money. It's like, you know, I, whatever your goals are in betting, like that's not my business. Like I I'll ask you maybe sometimes cause it helps me understand, you know, what you're looking to do. And it might be make me understand you more as a player, but honestly, you know, I, I don't care for the most part to me. It's just money. I'm looking at the position where I stand on the game and I'm not really caring who bet it other than if I want to respect that person's opinion and utilize that in what my line is. But yeah, whether, whether it's you that bets it or, you know, Jim down the street, I don't, I don't really care. So I, I can't say that loud enough that I don't care if you bet both sides of the game. I don't care if you earn to me because I'm trying to earn to you. So, you know, we're both trying to do the same thing. So it's music to my critical. Yeah. This is music to my ears. This is, you know what I mean? You don't know how often, oh man, you know, you know, you can't middle me, but you know, what is the difference if the guy next to me is his money more green than mine that you could, that he could bet the other side. It's unbelievable how these people think. And like, you know, with this whole thing with this, you know, you can't bet steam again. These are not, you know, in my opinion, this is not, you know, uh, you're not a bookmaker, you know, you hang a number to take a hit. It's not like you can hang a number, but you only could bet, you know, this side or that side. No, you know, just like I, I, I think the analogy that I like to use, and tell me if you agree with it, Matt, is let's just say McDonald's. Somebody walks into McDonald's and they have a whole menu there, and you know, you say, okay, I want a Big Mac, and they say, okay, sure, no problem. You know, why do you want the Big Mac? Is because you know this is your opinion that the Big Mac is the right sandwich, and you know, and they're like, okay, that's you know, it's my opinion. But well, if somebody it's, else, it's a, well, let, let me finish. If somebody else yeah, then yeah, comes sorry, and goes, you know what? I just want to hit the dollar menu. That's uh, all I'm getting. I'm just going to hit the dollar menu. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. That, you, you're going to try to take advantage of my dollar menu prices? Uh, you know, it, you're only going to bet when, I, when, when you have value? How dare you? You know what I mean? It just it doesn't make sense. The number is there. The menu is there. Have at it. Whatever you want, it's open game. I don't give a shit what you bet. That should be the mentality. Just like you said, it's a market. And I don't you know. It, it's like these people, I think these bookmakers, sometimes they, they, they want to know why. That's another thing. A lot of bookmakers, you know, why did you bet this? You know, why did I bet this? I, you know, like, why did you lay the six on the Browns or something? There's no whys in this. You know, the number is there. Like, why did I buy a Big Mac? You know, something, maybe I might want to eat it. Maybe I want to shove it up my ass. Who gives a shit? This is my decision to purchase this for this price. Why I did it is none of your business. Do you agree to that? Yes. And I, and I've gotten in, I've gotten in conversations. I'm glad I let you finish your example because I was going to cut you off and say that, well, they're making money no matter what you buy, but you could argue that it's different for us. Um, but the only thing is the only defense I would accept for not playing steam is the auto mover thing. If you, if you're saying like, Hey, I can't take this much steam. I don't have an auto mover. It's really hard for me, but still that's not your problem. Um, but I've gotten in this conversation with, with sports book directors before, and it leads me to the, to the understanding. And I stop arguing because I'm just like, 
what you're doing for a living is different than what I'm doing. And you don't, you don't have the concept of what I do for a living. And I, I can speak, I can say that as somebody, as a, as a director, like there are certain sports book directors who don't do the same thing as me. They're, they're, we have different jobs. And I don't mean that like they don't make odds. They don't take bets. I don't mean it like that. I mean like they don't, they don't respect the industry for what it is and they don't understand sports betting. And they might, they might think that they do, but they, if, they, if they're telling you those things about, you know, you shouldn't be able to bet both sides, you shouldn't, all, all these things, then they don't truly respect it and they don't have the proper appreciation. They don't know what they're, it's like they don't know what world they're in, but they think they do and they're just confused. And it's okay, they can work, they can work here, but don't expect me to ever, you know, want to have a conversation high level about sports betting with you because you don't, we don't do the same thing. We're not in the same world. Like, so I get offended. I get offended when somebody says stuff to me that, that basically trivializes the 30 years of life that I've had in sports betting because they're saying stuff to me that I know is wrong. And I know that anybody who loves sports betting as much as I do wouldn't agree with and and they're telling me i'm wrong yeah it pisses me off and i've got into arguments and I, i'm not like an excitable guy i don't get really easily mad but you know just because you follow the nfl and you're a sports fan doesn't mean you can run a sports book you're uh you're, you're man matt you know I, we're on the same exact page you're uh, it's a breath of fresh air this is just unbelievable i love your philosophies and i uh i really you know hope that you guys on um, you know and again i you know, like, you know, there's, there's places that kick people out, you know, notorious places like William Hill and whatnot, and they're spreading around the country. And I really hope that you guys, are, you know, start, you know, spreading around and creating this breath of fresh air, creating a bookmaking experience where everyone is welcome, where you don't care, you know, you're not going to throw people out. You're not going to limit people. You know, eventually when you have the auto line mover, your app limits and your counter limits are going to be the same come on, come all, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. This is America, not this European bullshit style where, you know, we're just looking to kick people out. You know, you've been on the other side of the counter and you understand how people like me, you know, how we're treated because I'm sure you were treated, you know, very poorly by certain places and you're treated, you know, and, and it just, you know, we're treated like thieves. We're treated like 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 bandits, yeah, like, cr like criminals, like criminals. And 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 how, again, I, it's like I'm there. Hey, listen, I like to just bet the dollar. I like to just not, you know purchase from the dollar menu. That's my prerogative. That's my choice. You see what I'm saying? And yet, mm -hmm. it, it's just it's it, it's just you know no no no. Um, so, you know, thank you so much. You know, it's just, you know, I, I hope you guys come, you know, any plans, you know, I, I'm hearing rumors about Jersey. Um, you know, what are the plans there? What can you reveal to us and, and, and on what those plans are timeline wise? Um, yeah, I, I know we're, we're aggressively exploring any market um, that kind of fits into our business model. And so, you know, we've announced in Colorado and, and that makes sense for us at this time. And, you know, obviously we have interest in, in any market that has as much sports betting enthusiasm as New Jersey. Um, so we're working hard to kind of try to find partners and everywhere that makes sense. And that, that's kind of all I can say about it. But um, I, I wanted to give, so I don't forget this. I wanted to give a big, like, you know, I guess a shout out. I hate saying that word, but uh, to the job that, you know, my sports work manager, Chris Bennett has done. Um, Chris worked with me at the Westgate and has done is a phenomenal odds maker he's a math major um from illinois 
Uh, that's where I went to school, but he's from Minnesota originally. Um, I, I would be nowhere without kind of like a quant guy who is somebody who actually can do the math that I am probably, you know, incapable of a lot of times. So I got to give him his due. He's one of the best odds makers I've ever met. Um, I'm just honored that he like chooses to, to work for me and, and put up our numbers. Um, and then the other, the other guy, um, you know, who really manages front of house along with all of our incredible staff. I mean, we have, I think we honestly have the best writers, the best supervisors that I've come in contact with in the industry. And, and I know that because I've gone to all these sports books and I've, you know, I, I, to some degree, I handpicked the people that I knew were the best at their, at their, at their uh, jobs. And, you know, Jeff Benson, who used to write tickets for me for 10 years at Palace Station, every time I went in there, I was just like, if I ever have a job um, running a book, I'm hiring this kid day one to run front of house. And I did that. And it was the best decision I ever made. He's, he's taken what I thought was the best customer service we could provide, which was a heavy goal of mine. I, I came in and I sold Mike and Derek that this is going to be different from a customer service standpoint. I had no idea the level of service Jeff was going to bring to the table. And he's taken kind of my vision and Derek's vision and put it on steroids and made it to the point where, you know, I, I just think that the experience that we're, that we want and we're giving people from a customer service standpoint is unparalleled. And if you think I'm just kind of like saying this is all hype, then you gotta like, just, just give us a chance. I'd always say, if you don't, if you don't like the product and you don't like the service and you think we're kind of just BSing here, then, you know, obviously you have a lot of options and, and feel free to play anywhere. But um, yeah. And I said, and I said before we got on this call, I wasn't going to turn this into commercial. So I apologize for, uh, no, no, you're not, you're, there's <laughs> nothing. Listen, I speak from personal experience. I have played at Circa and I have nothing but the greatest things. You guys treat me well. You give me fair limits and several others. Listen, I'm, you know, my hands on a pulse. I know who's, you know, who's getting turned away and who's not. And um, you guys are, are, you know, above all, you, you know, there's no, there's no limitations. You're very fair. And um, I just hope you expand and I hope you come to Jersey and I hope you even go to other states and, and become the biggest and the best in the world. Listen, I, you know, or, or, or at least in America for the, for the start, you know, I, I really, you know, you know, you guys are, uh, are, are, are the talent, like you said, is just second to none. And I think, um, you know, you being a, a professional better all those years, Derek, you know, being a gambler and, and a sports better and Mike Palm loving sports betting, all you guys, you guys are engulfed in this and you want to make it the best it could be. And, um, and I really believe that um, the talent and the enthusiasm is there. Um, it's just all about execution. And, and I think you guys are doing such a great job so far. I appreciate that, Spanky. Thank you. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. Before we go, I always try to ask, you know, the name of the podcast is called Be Better Betters. If there's one, you know, and you, you could probably, you know, we could take hours to give advice. But let's just say if there's one piece of advice you could give listeners out there on how they can become a better better, what's the most important thing? I'm sure I'm not going to be the first to say this, um, but obviously money management is always going to be the thing that comes to mind. I think there's a misconception out there, you know, about what a big bet looks like. And from personal experience, I can say that a big, big, big bet is two to 3% of your bankroll. Um, a more, a more reasonable bet or a standard bet for me was usually around half a percent, maybe even less. Um, so yeah, I think that you have to be reasonable and realize that, you know, if you want to be a winning sports better, it's not like a get rich quick thing. You're going to have to pay your dues. You've got to learn what you're doing. 
you got to be very like inquisitive and investigate stuff and try to figure out why numbers are where they are, you know, what, what this move in the market means, but don't overreact to anything. And, and especially in your bet sizing. So I think you just have to be patient and, you know, good bets do come along. There are bets that come along where I'm, I'm, you're going to bet aggressive and you're going to say, yeah, this is a one and once a year type bet. Um, but yeah, you just got to be disciplined and that's everything just in terms of treating it like a real job. If you want to be a pro, you got to like dedicate the hours. It's all, it's just like a, any other job. So. Well said, don't get rich quick. Instead go broke slow. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for your wisdom advice. I really, uh, appreciate you coming on and um i wish you guys nothing but the best in the future awesome thanks Becky. good luck to you too man that was so much fun matt metcalf is so sharp knows his thing been in the business for a long time and he's such a fair and a good guy i really hope circus sports is on their way and i believe it not just hope it but i believe it that one day they'll be number one in the country. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.